the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli, that's Bud Elliott, that's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson here like we are every single Monday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 for upon further review. Uh, we get at you Saturday night as the games are still going on. And so we have some time to review the action we didn't get to watch as much, to, to see how things have unfolded, hear from coaches, talk to people who are close to these teams. So before we move forward and with all the knowledge that we've accumulated during Monday's press availabilities, uh, we want to make one final stamp on the weekend. Uh, gentlemen, how are we doing? DK, you crushed it. Wrapping things up when they were done in Reno, you still had like you had your spot on, uh, yeah. good lines ready to go. I know it was a little bit lopsided, but uh, how was your weekend with uh, Brent Stover and CBS Sports Network? It was great. You know what? It couldn't have gone any better because on a typical weekend, we do our HQ stuff, I do the early games. Occasionally, there's a nap in there at times, you know, might fall asleep during critical times. I'm in there rewinding, you miss it. Getting from start to finish on that Saturday to have every game up on a day where you desperately needed multiple screens, it could not have worked out better. So it was awesome. Appreciate the love, man, because it was, I believe it was 2.23 when I got out of studio. I got back to the hotel about 2.45, and the car pickup was at 5.15. So it was a little nap before I got back home. So but it was a great day, man. It was awesome. Very cool. And uh, and I'll, I'll just open this up to the table before we dive in here. A lot, so, no, a lot of our normal Monday stuff. We'll do a little bit of AP versus coaches, talk about the coach rankings, uh, the official upon further review opportunity, some other uh, headlines and topics to be able to get to. But I'll say that was my favorite regular season college football Saturday since a 2016 Saturday that included uh, Lamar Jackson against Deshaun Watson at night. But then during the day, I think we also had like a, a Georgia, Tennessee hail Mary, or maybe a Florida, Georgia hail Mary. And there was a lot of other uh, action along the way. I mean, it, one of my favorite Saturdays uh, for the sport uh, in the college football playoff era. How about that? Any pushback there? Any other nominations? I mean, Saturday was pretty great like just from start to finish. So it's hard to really remember a specific day. There was the one day, what was it? Was it 2012? The year that Notre Dame reached the title game and got like pantsed by Bama where there was that one. Yeah. Like there was that one Saturday where like everybody that was like Alabama, we all knew was number one, but then like there was Kansas state, Notre Dame. I can't remember who else, but like two, three, four and five. And I think Notre Dame was five and two, three and four all lost which is how Notre Dame jumped up to number two. You know, it's, you know, because I put out something like, hey, has anybody seen a better day? And when you have to go back to 2012, 2007, there were a couple suggestions. 1998, there was like somebody gave me a date on that one. You know, when you're comparing it to this one and people aren't losing their mind at you on Twitter, where it's kind of like, well, let me propose this one and there's no slam dunk. It speaks for itself because I thought, It had everything because Oklahoma, Texas started off in a rivalry game that included an unbelievable comeback. Then you had the Arkansas Miss. Then you had the Alabama upset. You had uh, Penn State, Iowa in the middle. But that was the premier games. The secondary games were insane, too, with the last second field goals at uh, at Virginia Tech, Notre Dame and Syracuse, Wake Forest and like all these kind of undercard events. All of them were off the charts. It was phenomenal. Top to bottom. It was awesome. 
can I um can I get something off my chest? Yeah. And uh, I, I did. I listened to the reaction pod, so <laughs> I got a little sound I want to play back <laughs> for uh, for you guys. Now this is how we roll on our show. I didn't want to bother Coca. I know he was busy supporting his boy David Sampson at the Boston Marathon today. So this is how we roll. I'm just gonna hit play on the old phone. And I had an issue with this uh, with one of these quotes. That's, that's fine, but like Alabama lost because Alabama's wide receivers let it down because they don't have a Devonta Smith and a Henry Ruggs and a Jalen Waddle because they have. Okay, we'll stop it right there because <laughs> I have good. a question for one Chip Patterson. Yeah. Um, who else doesn't have a Devonte Smith, a Henry Ruggs, and a Jalen Waddle? Yeah, it's. We, Every other team in America. Ever. How come you're up there defending Nick Saban when he clearly got out coach? And I don't want to bash on Nick Saban, but I thought it was the most obvious like results reaction of anything was Nick Saban got out coached by Jimbo Fisher. And you were saying, hold on a second. It was, well, the quarterback didn't make plays and the receivers didn't make plays. Of course they didn't. But the bottom line is he got out coached and it wasn't even close. I carry the water for Nick Saban. You know, that's like a, he needs someone to support him. OK, Nick Saban is always getting trashed out here by the media and he's got to have somebody to lean on to be able to have some bias. And maybe it's me. OK, just making sure. Just making sure I heard that correctly. I did just a quick afterthought of that game since I didn't get to chime in on the reaction pod. I don't know about you guys. I thought Saban just looked different than normal. Whether he wasn't as angry, wasn't as irate, wasn't as dialed in. And I thought the halftime interview with Jamie Erdell spoke volumes about that because she asked him, hey, what you had three timeouts. Why didn't you use them? And I, you can make any case you want to. Maybe he was hijacking the interview. He didn't want to answer why they didn't use him when his team was on defense. But the fact that he thought she was talking about the offensive possession before – just told me he was out of sorts for for whatever reason. I don't know why, but I thought that was a move that any team in America that has the talent that Alabama does is dying to get the ball back. There was a minute 13 left. Texan was backed up. It's not like they have a world beater Heisman Trophy uh, candidate. You're down. Every good team in America should be calling timeout, 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 trying to either block a punt, get it back in good field position, get a last-second field goal, trying to flip a momentum. The fact that he didn't even answer the question and kind of was confused by it, just was a whoa like I couldn't believe what unfolded before our eyes and I thought it was just a glimpse of one of the many things that went wrong for Bama do you think that um that is not an isolated incident would you look at the would you look at Nick Saban and sort of where he's at with this Alabama team with the idea that that wasn't a, an anomaly but instead a hint that there's a second loss out there for Alabama on this schedule no, because I think he'll use this. And, I mean, if you saw the comments from Will Anderson today, like he's saying, hey, I told the team that we weren't as focused as we needed to be off the field. If anything, I think this is – this. I mean, losses can be a good thing. You never want to say it as an Alabama fan. But if you need something, you're a little complacent, you just won a national championship, it's human nature to let your guard down and feel like you can get cruise control. You know, you dodged a bullet in Gainesville and you won – it's like you don't, and you, hey, you just watched like everybody else, Mississippi State beat Texas AM. So maybe just let off the gas a little bit. You're still Bama. You're still going to have that bullseye on your back. So if anything, I would expect the opposite. I would expect more of what we got and even more, maybe an angrier Alabama, which is a scary thought because that's what they need. But I do think there were also, and we've documented on, on here a bunch, is the personnel problems on the defensive line. The fact that, you know, they did get some run game going. They were able to protect Zach Calzada. But, I mean, it was the perfect storm. Zach Calzada turned into Aaron Rodgers for three quarters. You know, one, one quarter he was a little bit off. But the windows he was throwing into, we haven't seen that version of him. Now, if if, if Zach Calzada continued to do that, then watch out for AM like, you know, next year and moving forward. I don't know if he can replicate that type of success. But it was just that type of night. It was special. I think it was a combination. Alabama got outcoached. Got outplayed, and it just felt like a special night. Because I think I'm sure with you guys, when Alabama retook the lead, well, there were two instances. When Alabama took the kickoff back, was it kickoff or punt return? When they took uh, right out of halftime, was a, I think it was kickoff, right? Then they score right away off the special teams. It was a kickoff return, and then uh, Texas A&M came right back and well, scored on their kickoff return. It was like they had the punt block. Punt yeah, block, the punt block. The punt block, block then. Duh. 
New was a special team. So at the punt block, I'm thinking, oh, here we go. Game over. Like Nick Saban, genius for not calling the timeouts at halftime because they were you know, scheming up a punt block. And then what happens to the next kickoff? Texas A&M takes it back. So it was like, okay. But then when Alabama took the lead, 38-31, it was, oh, all right. Well, there we go. Nice try, A&M. But, I mean, it was phenomenal. I mean, to – to two points Danny made, um, and sorry about forgetting my mic cord. I'm up here in Nashville this week, and I just ordered one on Amazon. So if my audio is, is poor, sorry, guys. Um, number one, I know we argued about this on the postgame show, and I think it is fair to consider game context like Chip was doing, obviously. And Vander, not Vanderbilt, excuse me, A&M had a 0% success rate other than penalties on offense in the second half. But it still was a gamble by Nick Saban to kick those field goals, right? Like you're gambling that your defense is going to continue to shut them down like they were. Like it, to me, anytime you go against the odds and the guys who do the, the math stuff ran the, ran the numbers, that field goal decision was actually the worst fourth down decision of any fourth down decision made in the entire weekend. Mm-hmm. I know some people in the comment section are pointing out he lost like 9% win probability with those. And ultimately, he's a defensive guy, trusts his offense normally, didn't do it in this situation. The other thing on Calzada – Man, I, I gotta say, um, if if they if he plays like that, he looks like Jay Cutler. Yeah, I mean, just just a, like a, a huge, huge arm. Anticipation was a little bit better. Still, kind of more of a see it, throw it guy. Absolute laser cannon, and uh, throwing the ball where he needs to throw it was very impressive. I know in the comment section they're asking, could he be the best quarterback in the twenty nineteen class? Well, I mean, <laughs> now the Rattlers benched I, or unofficially. Low bar to clear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I will say like I rewatched the game yesterday, and it's always different when you watch a game after you know what's going to happen compared to when you're still waiting to see because you're allowed to focus on other things. And the thing that really stood out to me, which wasn't a huge surprise considering Texas A&M's defensive front, but it was the second time I thought Alabama got beat up in the trenches for a game. Like Florida did it to them. A&M did it to him. And both of those games were on the road. I feel like there's a clear delineation between Alabama at home this year and Alabama on the road. On the road, it's played two road games. It nearly lost one to Florida. It did lose one to Texas A&M. And while there are only two road games left on the schedule this year are Mississippi State and Auburn, I think that there are more flaws to this team that maybe we weren't really aware of. And I don't think they're going to lose another game in the regular season but I don't think they're going to beat Georgia when they get to the SEC championship. And I wouldn't be shocked if they do lose another game before then. So I don't know. I, th- I think there are so like, I think Saban was out coached. I think Saban made bad decisions and I think they just got beat up. I, the biggest surprise upon review of that game was the transformation of Zach Calzada. Cause it felt like it was something special. And now I need to test and see if it's sustainable. Do we think it is like, was that just like one guy college football just rising to the moment? Or do you think that that was after several weeks of development, after several weeks, he now is comfortable with his head coach and the offensive staff to be able to build on this? Like, I I don't know which way to take, but I'm, I'm tempted to bet that it's the anomaly, that it was a great college football moment for this quarterback. And he showed us a ceiling, which he hadn't shown us yet. But I don't know if we can take that Jay Cutler performance and consider it sustainable as we expect, as we try to figure out what Texas A&M is going to be the rest of the season. Well, here's an argument for it possibly not being an anomaly, because we've talked about this before on the show with Jimbo's offense. Jimbo's offense is complicated. It's more of an NFL offense, but he's running a college team and you don't have the same kind of practice time that an NFL team gets to learn the playbook and run the plays. So this could be a situation of Zach Calzada has been the number one guy now for a month. He's been getting all the reps in practice. He's been getting the playbook. He's been getting all this stuff and he might just be becoming more comfortable in that offense and having a better understanding of what he's supposed to do. So I, I think that, History will show this is probably going to be his best game of the year as far as the stage and not, you know, the performance. But there is a chance that this is just somebody who's finally starting to pick up things in the offense that he didn't pick up or hadn't picked up yet. I mean, it's his sixth start. Like, Mm -hmm. I think we, we, our expectations, and I'm guilty of this too, is assuming they've had all this time. Hey, he's been there a few years. You know, he's been in Jimbo's system that he's just going to step in and he's going to pick up where Kellen Mond left off. 
man, it takes time to get used to playing in college every week to the speed of the game, to being hit, to all of it, to be a starter. It's not we because we've seen so many great performers. We saw Tua step in right away, bam. We saw Trevor Lawrence step in right away, bam. We saw Jalen Hurts transfer and go, bam. Like that is abnormal. What you've seen from Zach Calzada and DJ and a lot of these young quarterbacks is normal. Like this is what it's supposed to look. So that would be the argument for maybe Zach Calzada is just getting more comfortable within the system. And confidence is a major part in this. I had a game, uh, Bud knows this, the, the choke it dope. My, it was my junior year, the last game of the regular season, that really propelled me forward with a ton of confidence. And I felt differently about myself. My teammates looked at me differently. Like those players on his team, they're going to start looking at him differently. Like, oh, like the offensive lines and be like, hey, we just, man, we give him a little bit more time. He can make those type of throws. He's going to get up off the deck like he did there and come back in, fight for us. It just changes a lot around you. So I don't know if we're going to see a Jay Cutler version of Zach Calzada, but maybe that's what it is. Maybe we see a continual, gradual process of Zach Calzada getting more comfortable and getting better. Is he going to be a you know, a first-round draft pick or a Heisman Trophy winner. I don't know if I'd go that far yet, but this is part of the process. I mean, we sh- we knew there were going to be some learning uh, pains, whether it was him or Haynes King. I think we just, all of us, myself included, but more than most, just assume, oh, he's going to step in and have success right away. So- yeah, I, I think the one thing about that is it wasn't a gradual progression, at least not mm-hmm. publicly, right? right? Like, on the field, it was terrible, 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 all of a sudden you're playing Alabama and you played lights out like that. I think that that was the real surprising part, of it, right? If mm-hmm. we had seen it coming, you're like, all right, th- this is a foreseeable leap. Um, maybe behind the scenes in practice, this was really building. I, I don't know if Jimbo said anything about that, but uh, man, like that, that was pretty shocking to me right there. Maybe Jimbo too is getting more comfortable with the plays that he likes, you know, That's and maybe possible. he's more, maybe he'll get more aggressive working the ball down the field because he's seen him do it. So it's a whole, it's a process though. Um, yeah. The confidence that coach had in quarterback on the road at Colorado was none because <laughs> after Haynes King goes out, I think that that playbook got stripped down to just a front and back of a couple of handoffs. And that was uh, essentially what he got sent out to do as they let their defense go on and pull on, pull off that win. All right, let's uh, let's take a quick dance through AP versus coaches, a chance for us to look at some teams in which opinions are divided in the college football rankings. Uh, first of all, just at the very top of the poll, does anyone uh, on this podcast have an art, have a, um, a problem with Alabama still being considered a top five team by the opinion polls? Number no. four in the CBS Sports 130 for whatever that's worth. I mean, I, I get the reaction is Alabama lost. It should drop, but who are the five teams that deserve to be ranked higher than it just because Alabama's loss was this weekend? I mean, it's like, that's the thing you always hear Alabama didn't fall far enough, but nobody ever says who should be ranked ahead of it. Like should Ohio state be ranked ahead of it because Ohio state lost at home. Should Penn state be ranked ahead of it? It just lost to Iowa. Should Michigan be ranked ahead of it? Maybe, but what's Michigan's best win to this point? Oregon, it lost to Stanford. Michigan State, maybe, but what's its best win? So it's like when it comes to those kind of arguments, it's like, great, we'll come up with a reason why who who should be higher then. I'm totally okay with it, to be honest. I I think um, they have a top five resume right now. Now, that could fade, obviously. The the Miami team they beat doesn't have King anymore, and I don't think it's anywhere near as good as it maybe was at that point, although you can argue they weren't that good anyway. They beat a pretty good Florida team on the road. They also beat an old Miss team that turned around and, and beat Arkansas. And that old Miss team also paced Louisville, uh, which is, you know, a competitive team in the ACC. I just don't see five better resumes out there right now. I had Oregon ahead of them because I thought Oregon's best win was better going better, into yeah. Columbus. But it's really, a, I mean, it's right. They're right there to toe to toe together. But I do think, like the old question of, well, if Alabama played Oregon, I think it's much different today as we look at it than it would have been a couple of weeks ago. Like people would have been livid. Oh, how could you say that? And I think now it's a little more reasonable take. Alabama clearly would still be favored in the matchup. And who knows what Oregon, uh, Oregon looks like after they're without C.J. Verdell and after the bye. But I think resume-wise, I think they're closer than people think. Yeah, and I, I think that Oregon's defensible by far because you you mentioned their best win is a much better win than any Alabama has and just if you look at record wise Oregon's loss is kind of similar to Alabama's on the road against the three and two team 
but mm. it didn't look the same. It wasn't on no. CBS in nope. prime time. And there night? weren't 115,000 fans, <laughs> you know? That perception does change things. Um, all right, we we did this team last week. I swear, if they are split again, I might just throw them out from this uh, so we can get through this first one quickly. The Arkansas Razorbacks are number 17 in the AP Top 25 after that loss. Wild loss to Ole Miss. Uh, Arkansas number 19 in the coaches. So 17 in the AP, 19 in the coaches. Are you more AP or coaches on Arkansas? I'm AP, I guess. I, I didn't have them in my top 16 in the Super Bowl this week, but I don't know. I, I, I feel like the tendency that we see in the polls is the kind of upstarty underdogs are always rated higher in the AP poll while the coaches tend to prefer the old, you know, well, no, we know they've been there before. So I don't think either is wrong. I think 17, 18, 19, 20, anywhere you want to put them in that spot is probably fine, but I, I probably lean more towards the AP. I'm actually a little bit more with the coaches here. Um, you know, I, I, Texas to me really could have lost to TCU and, uh, you know, played Oklahoma pretty well. So that, that's, that's a feather in their cap. Some of the other teams that Arkansas played like rice has not looked that great. Georgia Southern, you know, um, granted they did beat A&M, which then turns around, you know, and, and smacks or well, not smacks, but beat Alabama. Like, I think this is a good team. There's not a huge difference. I, I think they're more of like a top 25 type team because that defense is just, uh, I don't know, it's fallen off a little bit. Um, but, I mean, this is probably fair. I don't think it's egregious. Danny, where are you at with the Hogs? Just kind of whatever. Yeah, kind of whatever. I was looking at Arizona State, a little more perturbed that Arizona State isn't ahead of them with – uh, you know, their loss to BYU at BYU isn't as bad as two losses. Like at some point, I do think when you compare resumes and one team has one loss and one has two, and I know you want to give them a lot of credit for beating AM and Texas, but Arizona State, I do feel, is a team that I think would be really evenly matched with Arkansas. It might look a little bit different, but I would probably give them a little bit more credit. So I was kind of distracted by that one. I do get, I used to get really worked up some of these and say, man, well, where's the favoritism? And it definitely helps. Um, but like, I'm kind of like, whatever. <laughs> the, all right, what about Arizona state since you're hot and bothered? Because that's another one where, uh, they check in at number 18 in the AP poll all the way down at 22 in the coaches poll, that four spot difference. I mean, uh, aside from Clemson still being ranked in the coaches poll, which is by far the, uh, the most, uh, Chip Patterson has a vote on the coaches poll. Did you guys know that? Well, I mean, clearly I'm carrying water for Nick Saban and I'm making sure that Clemson is keeping it on the coaches poll. Well, uh, see, this is the advantage to me of the uh, of playing in the SEC where, I mean, Arizona State's coming off two pretty impressive conference wins, right? They beat UCLA and they just beat Stanford. And I think, well, a lot of people might say, well, you know, Stanford's no good this year. Well, Stanford beat Oregon, right? And UCLA beat LSU. Like those are good conference wins that I would tend to give them credit for, and they only lost once. And I know BYU lost to Boise State, but it was, you know, Boise is a pretty good opponent. Like, I don't – and BYU had a lot of success up to that point against the Pac-12. I would put Arizona State a little bit higher. But I think it's one of those ones where in the Pac-12, you have to win one and a half times more games to get the recognition than you would if you had the same exact kind of wins in the SEC or the Big Ten. I think the SEC and Big Ten both, I think, do get more credit uh, than the other conferences. And they are stronger at the top, but I just don't think there's as much of a healthy respect for the teams in the middle of the Pac-12. I don't even think you need to look at the SEC or the Big Ten to see it. Like, if you look at Arizona State's resume, it's a 5-1 and one team. Its best win was a very impressive win over UCLA. Its loss was to a BYU team that's probably ranked higher than it should be, but is still ranked, and it was on the road in Provo. Let's compare that to Notre Dame who is also 5-1, and one, and in the AP poll is ranked, what, four spots higher than Arizona State, and in the coaches' poll is ranked nearly 10 spots higher. Notre Dame's wins are a three-point win against Florida State, a three-point win against the Toledo team that just lost to Northern Illinois and is 3-3 three and three on the season, a 14-point win over a pretty mediocre Purdue team, a 41-13 win over a bad Wisconsin team, a loss to the only good team they played in Cincinnati, and a three-point narrow comeback probably shouldn't have won win over Virginia Tech on Saturday. So what's the difference between Notre Dame and Arizona State? 
I've got Schedule strength. A huge difference. <laughs> so, all right. You, you guys got me still? Yep. Yes. Yeah, 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 but what, what kind of – I heard something. Schedule strength, strength right? Isn't that what Schedule you said? Strength. Yeah, yeah. Schedule strength. All right. So, Notre Dame, number eight schedule in the country so far, just to date. Arizona State, 104. Arkansas, two. I think if we're comparing just the top-level wins, I think the argument really holds water. To me, though, Arkansas and Notre Dame have played a much tougher schedule on a week-to-week basis. Like, they have not had the same level of gimme that Arizona State has had. And I know that that's, that's just, you know, that's commonly strength schedule numbers. Uh, on ESPN, it's Arizona State 93rd, Notre Dame 14th, and Arkansas 1st. How is so Notre there Dame – Schedule strength there. How can a Notre Dame schedule that's best win right now is a three and two Virginia Tech be the number eight schedule strength? Well, I, I think part of it is that they have not had had like played any teams that are like bottom eighty, bottom ninety, you know, bottom one hundred. So they don't get any weeks off so far. Really, the same with Arkansas, except for Rice, but Arkansas makes up for it with with the top level strength. They had a week off versus Toledo and almost lost. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like that's I'd so that's where I do. So although I don't like, I get where they serve a purpose, the strength of schedules, but I'm more with Tom. Like, are we crediting Notre Dame because Florida State has a lot of talent on the roster or, you know, was perceived to be a good team at the beginning of the season? Uh, Same with Wisconsin. Like, are they getting, is the Wisconsin win still holding? Like, is that a really tough win? I know that's my point, but is it, It are these strength of schedules based off preseason or do they adjust on the fly? Yeah. And let's not forget, like, that was a, what, 41 to 13 win for Wisconsin, but that included two pick sixes in the final five minutes of the fourth quarter. That game was close the entire time. It's not like they blew Wisconsin out. They were stuck in a battle with a bad Wisconsin team. Like, they have been stuck in a battle with every mediocre team they've played this season, except for Cincinnati, which just beat them yet they get to be 14 because they're Notre Dame they play during the day Arizona State's <laughs> in the Pac-12 Wait, playing at sleeping. night when everybody's in bed and everybody just says eh I'll All put right. Arizona State between 20 and 25 on my ballot that's fine I do have Arizona State as the best team of all those three by the way mm-hmm. like I will say that I don't think they've earned to be higher than them based on like the strength of their wins but I do have them power rated over Notre Dame and over Arkansas but I'll say this then too, finally, as far as Arizona State's concerned, because if we're going to bring up strength of schedule, why is Arizona State 5-1 and one at 18 and Coastal Carolina is 15? Mm. Because they got a cool nickname and a cool colored field. Like, who, look at who Coastal Carolina has played. I'll reel off their wins for you. They're 6-0. and And I'm not trying to come after you, Shantz, but let's just be honest. <laughs> Citadel, Kansas, Buffalo, UMass, Louisiana, Monroe, and Arkansas State. I don't know off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure the combined record of those six teams is like 7-35. and 35. Oh, Tom, Coastal has the number 130 schedule strength in the country. Okay. Yeah. Just, and but, because UConn didn't take the year off, that means they're literally dead last this year. There's only 130 teams playing. But they get to be 15 because they were good last year and everybody liked them. They're Price fun. Is- they kick ass when they, they are fun, but they are not the fifteenth best team in the country. Yeah, there's like at least twenty teams that I would take on a neutral, but not like thirty or forty. I don't think they're kind of somewhere between like twenty and thirty for me. Mm-hmm. And they did dirty things to Butch Jones and Arkansas State last week. I mean, just just like really cruel. Um, the kind of stuff that leads, what, 98-yard touchdown passes? You know, like, uh, on the very first play, I'm going to send this guy in motion and see what your safety does. Oh, he does the bad thing? Well, here's what we're going to do on the second play is send the tight end up the seam and have him running free for a 98-yard touchdown because we saw what your safety did. I mean, he is like, they are taking that offense, and it is so uh, exciting to watch. And I think the fun factor is probably why you see, as, at least on the writer side, Coastal Carolina getting uh, getting bumped up just a little bit. I will say uh, I don't know who was doing the broadcast, but but the color guy there was talking to the Arkansas State defensive coordinator, and he said, "Yeah, but, you know, he explained to us that if you take like on the top ten plays, sure they allow like 380 yards of offense. I'm like that's a lot for ten plays. He's like, but on the other 70 plays, we only allowed like five yards of offense. I'm like that's like it's like 730 yards of offense. Like that that's really not that great." Uh, yeah, but he was explaining, like, we just got to eliminate these killer mistakes. I was like, eh. I remember I once right. when Tim Beckman was coaching Illinois, he said something along the lines of after the game, like, if you took out the third quarter where they scored 28 points, we won the game. 
<laughs> exactly. It's like that's true, Coach. That you, you cannot guys, argue with that. <laughs> you guys would be shocked at some of the the talk that comes from coaches' me- mouths in those production meetings when they're I mean it's a hard sell on some of them, and you're just like, all right, we all see the film, we know what's going on, but they can sell it. They'll try. Mac Brown out here talking about how uh, we expect to win every game. Half the time it's happened, half the time it hasn't. Oh, well. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. Florida, 17 in the coaches, 20 in the AP. I I think – wait, no. I'm, am I back with coaches? Am I just the stodgy old establishment here? I think Florida's Chip hitting Florida. Oh, what? what? Yeah. <laughs> I, I said I'm with the coaches. The coaches have Florida three spots higher than the writers – the writers uh, have Florida down behind BYU, one spot ahead of Texas A&M. Uh, the coaches also have Florida one spot ahead of Texas A&M uh, at 17. Again, 20 in the AP, 17 in the coaches' poll. Well, their, their signature win is? Tennessee. That win doesn't look too bad anymore. Doesn't like Tennessee's been feisty, but no, I get what you're saying. They haven't really beaten anybody, but it goes okay. back to what I was saying where I think the AP wants the trendy team and the coaches typically stick with the traditional team, but like they're two losses. They have two good losses. That's what it is. God, that's very, that feels, I, I think Bud invoked the name of Jim McElwain on the reaction pod. And that's a, that feels very Jim McElwain era, Florida, when you have great losses. Oh man, your losses are so good. Love those losses. <laughs> I mean, they, they do. They got a two-point loss at home to Alabama, and they got a seven-point loss on the road against the Kentucky team that's now 6-0. And also, like, speaking of teams that should be ranked higher, how the hell is a 6-0 SEC team not in the top 10? What's going on? Where did the bias go? Is it just because it's a basketball school and Kentucky's not supposed to be good that we don't rank it high, overrate it? You know, they're, they're – make okay, a push. I actually do Get want them to in there. this. Like, <laughs> okay. I have been betting on Kentucky now for a couple of weeks uh, and was happy to do so. I was pretty happy to grab that 24 when it came out on, on Sunday, yesterday. Uh, and then Kentucky said that, like a couple of defensive line are going to be out against Georgia, which sucks. However, I, I'm, I think I'm going to sell Kentucky now. Yes. Um, like I really like Bruce Feldman's article that he did on, on Liam Cohen, the offensive coordinator. I don't know that I think he's really the next Joe Brady uh, in the off season. I had some questions if Kentucky, moving to a more modernized passing offense would actually work given how they had recruited. And, and it's worked well, right? But this is still not a special offense. They have played so far some teams uh, who are either really bad defensively or really bad in run defense. I mean, specifically Missouri. Um, they struggled with Chattanooga. They lit up UL Monroe, but everybody does that. We called it out on this very podcast that LSU's run defense was just flat out terrible and that they would run all over them, and they did. You know, the Florida game is the only decent or good defense they've played so far, and they also struggled with South Carolina, which has an okay defense, not not, not a great one. They should have lost the Florida game, right? Florida, like, had 15 penalties and had a field goal blocked for a return. The offense didn't do a damn thing against Florida, and I, I don't know. Like, I think this is a good team, but it's – I mean, Tom, do you have these guys in your top, like, 15 your power ratings? I, I don't. No, I, I even wrote today in the Monday after, like, in my stock advice for the week, I'm with you. I'm selling Kentucky because their, their stock's never going to be higher than it is right now. Yeah. I, I mean, Will Levis has also thrown six picks against that defensive slate. That's a lot compared to only 11 touchdowns. I Chris mean, Rodriguez. Chris Rodriguez is good. He's leading the SEC in rushing right now. Like He's he, great. Yeah, he we'll is. see how he does this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> he hasn't played Big 99 and uh, the rest of the Georgia defensive front. And well, you know what? Georgia see, then? this is where, real quick on Kentucky, this is where I feel almost mean sometimes to Kentucky fans because they're having a great – what they've done already is unbelievable for Mark Stoops. The accomplishment, what they've done beating Florida, beat them twice now in the last 30 years, and they both come in the last four years. It's unbelievable. And, like, they'll probably finish nine wins, eight wins, somewhere in there. That's a remarkable season. And just, like, because I – but I feel like when we go, yeah, well, they're not a top 10 team or a top 15 team is perfectly reasonable. It almost feels mean, but that's, like, an incredible season for Kentucky. Like, it should be celebrated, but, like, should it be celebrated as, oh, why aren't they in the top 10 or why aren't they this or that? That's when you feel like 
well, let me just keep them in check a little bit. So it's it's like an awkward dynamic that unfolds because you feel like, okay, they're getting a little chesty. It's time to tell them where exactly they stand because there is a reality of just how good they could be at their peak. And this is probably it. For me, that disconnect comes between selling games and picking games where mm-hmm. if I'm trying to tell you about how exciting this is, I'm telling you the last two unbeaten teams in the SEC are squaring off on Saturday first place in the division on the line. And then if I'm picking games, I'm like, you see that point spread, right? Like you see how far (laughs) these two teams are from each other in the eyes of odds makers and those who make their own numbers. Like when we're having the fun and discussing the, the, the pageantry, the storylines, the, the way this season that has already been awesome and has delivered in so many ways, the way that it ebbs and flows, we need, we do celebrate it. But like when we get here on Thursdays, that's when it's time for that sober reality of actually picking these games. Just an observation. When this happens in other conferences, <laughs> specifically in the ACC, when you see all that, the uh, wheel of fortune that is the coastal, right? And you see any team in there that's undefeated, maybe it's a Wake Forest, and I was like, oh, ACC is garbage this year. We don't say that so much about other teams. But I think it is more of a reflection of Florida coming off a rough year, Tennessee being in a bad spot. Like, it's Missouri's really struggling. Like, it is a, it is a sign that the SEC outside of Georgia and Bama potentially – uh, is is down like it's it's closer to parity just like everybody else than oh there's all these great teams in it and if you're I, I think that's right but if if the ACC didn't have Clemson that's when we say it like the SEC does have Georgia right you know yeah. what I mean like if yeah. Kentucky was literally like playing to be the top team in the East which I guess technically this weekend they are but they're a 24 point dog we would all be like mm, I don't know really this is kind of like when South Carolina won the East and you knew Auburn was going to go stomp them it's like all right Congrats, you won the East, but like that's not a real, that's not a real division this year. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's interesting. It's very interesting. And guess what? We'll continue selling Kentucky all the way to Saturday in the SEC on CBS <laughs> game of the week, a game that you can watch on CBS, cbssports.com, uh, CBS Sports app, all for free. Check out CBS Sports HQ for pregame, halftime, and postgame. Coming up on the other side, upon further review. Our final thoughts on a wild, awesome week six in college football. Next. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast and for those watching live at youtube.com slash cover three a nice reminder that you can also watch the sec on cbs on paramount plus go ahead and uh, sign up for that right now all right upon further review um I would like, uh, I don't want to just sort of set you up if you don't want to talk about this, Tom, but you wrote about it. And it is uh, a 
a very uh, interesting topic that you hinted on in the earlier segment when we were talking about Alabama and the SEC is about the future of the college football playoff. I saw the allegation that you woke up and chose violence as you decided to uh, inform SEC fans that the SEC Southeastern Conference might not be the conference with the best chance of getting two college football playoff teams in. And so as, as we're sort of putting a review on last week, um, it, what, ha, how much confidence or what sparked you really diving into this idea that, it, that it's not the SEC uh, with two in, seemingly written in stone, as so many people had in their minds anytime you tried to ask them their projected playoff prior to Saturday? I think, honestly, it was just, it didn't really jump into my head until Sunday morning. I was on desk duty for the news, just dreading Ed Orgeron being fired, which thankfully didn't happen. But the polls came out as I'm poll duty, and it's just seeing five Big Ten teams in the top 10 of both polls and Alabama just coming off a loss. And as I was talking about earlier, Alabama looking kind of vulnerable now in two road games, more vulnerable. Like we've seen Alabama look more vulnerable in a game outside the college football playoff more times already this season than I think we had in the last five during a regular season game. And I think that this is a team that I don't have a lot of faith in Alabama beating Georgia if it gets to the SEC championship game. And you notice I say if, because now I don't think it's a sure thing that Alabama does get to the SEC championship. I think it will, but it's not the slam dunk that it seemed to me just a couple of days ago. And I think that if you look at the Big Ten right now, again, I'm not saying, I'm not predicting it's happening. I'm just saying that at this very moment, the Big Ten is more likely to get two teams in the playoff than the SEC is because Iowa's schedule is pretty much done. Like, they've played the best teams that they're going to face. We talked about this on Saturday. They've got Minnesota, Purdue left as far as records are concerned. They're the quote-unquote best teams. But the two toughest games that they'll face are Wisconsin on the road and Nebraska on the road. Iowa has a lot of deficiencies. Iowa is not guaranteed of winning those games. But based on what we've seen so far this year, I think Iowa's going to win those games more often than not. So there's a very good chance Iowa gets to Indianapolis 12-0. When it gets there, it's going to play one of the four Big Ten East teams that are currently in the top 10, whether it's Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State. Both the Michigan schools are undefeated. I don't expect that to remain the case. I think they're probably the two least likely ones to win that division. I think they're off to great starts, but when you look at the schedules, there's still like a lot of questions to be answered. I think there's a very good chance that Ohio State or Penn State will get through the division with only one loss. So now we've got a scenario where we've got either a one-loss Penn State and a one-loss Ohio State going in Indianapolis to face a 12-0 Iowa. If Penn State gets revenge on Iowa in that scenario, is a 12-1 Iowa team getting left out of the playoff? Is If Ohio State beats Iowa, and is a 12-1 Iowa team being left out of the playoff for a Cincinnati? I don't think so. And if Alabama goes to Atlanta and loses to Georgia and has two losses, well, then the SEC has no shot in hell of getting two teams in the playoff. And I think that if given the choice, if the committee's looking at Georgia, Oklahoma, the Big Ten champion, and then the fourth team, and that fourth team is either a one-loss Iowa or an undefeated Cincinnati, I think we all know what direction they're going to go. I don't. Are you saying Iowa? Yeah. 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 They're not they're not taking Cincinnati over a Big Ten team, Chip. I mean, I don't know if I've ever told you this before, <laughs> but the committee's not really big on group of five teams. I mean, I'm just I'm already I think it's already baked in that the selection committee can twist it any way they want. You know, they can they can get out there and if the selection committee wants undefeated Cincinnati, and again, we need to get undefeated Cincinnati, then they'll they'll be like well, you know, Penn State did lose its quarterback in that game. You know, it's just we there's so much uh there's so much twisting of the way that Iowa is discussed where I if they want to put Iowa in, then they're going to have all of the wins that they need to be able to make that argument. If they want to argue against it based on the decisions and the opinions of the committee members in this room because they're the ones who vote on this and decide it, then they can find little pieces to grab hold of. Uh, I think along the way. I, I'm really not convinced that Iowa runs the table, by the way, am I. Uh, yeah. to the Big Ten championship game. I, I, I think them finishing 11-1 is, is a lot more likely than them finishing 12-0. Like, their defense is incredible. Their offense is not improving <laughs> slightly, I think, right? Like they were, they were a little bit better offensively against Penn State than I thought they would be, which is to say I thought they would be terrible. Instead, they were just bad. 
Um, you know, so if they keep improving, maybe they can pull it off. But, I mean, they're not a lock to beat Wisconsin. They're not a lock to beat you know, Minnesota or at Nebraska. Tom, I think they're a lock to beat Illinois. So I'm just not really sure yes. Illinois can score at all. Yeah. But, I mean, like, with that offense, every game against a team with a pulse is losable. Because if you just don't get the bounces on a given day, you can lose that game. Um, but I, is Iowa a, enough of a brand name to where the committee wouldn't say, you know what, we're going to keep you guys out, we're going to put Cincinnati in to prove that, hey, like this is not an antitrust issue. Because uh, I don't think they are. Right? Oh, like, they have the Big Ten stamp, but they're team. not a marquee program. They're a Big Ten team. They're not an American Athletic Conference team. Cincinnati's saying, not in the Big 12 yet. You're saying like, it would not happen to Ohio Iowa. State. But I think they might do it to Iowa. You're saying a one-loss Iowa. Yes, correct. Okay. If Iowa's 12-1 and one with its only loss being to either Ohio State or Penn State and Indianapolis, they're not getting left out of the playoff for Cincinnati. And this is also assuming Cincinnati's undefeated, which I'm not assuming Cincinnati's going to be undefeated either. It's going to be ECU so, at the end of the season. Yeah. Pirates are going to get it done. Hey, they pushed them last year. This is <laughs> That is a game ECU can 100% uh, play spoiler to the to this large college football conversation. I, Danny, I thought about you as I was reading this because one of your big pushbacks on college football playoff expansion is the idea of a team loses on Saturday or Saturday night, and then on Sunday morning they see their name pasted up there as you know, welcome to the college football playoff. It happened mm-hmm. last year. Yep. We saw Notre Dame lose to Clemson and then go on uh, to make the college football playoff. And I, I wondered, like to Tom's point, that wealth of teams in the East leaves me to consider that maybe it's the two teams from the same division where, uh, no, I, I guess it, it would have to it be. It happen now because Penn State lost, right? It would have to be Michigan. Right. What's that? Because what if that did happen? What if Michigan loses by a, a point? you know, to Ohio State and it looks good and they look impressive until then, Ohio State beats or, uh, Iowa held, you know, handsomely in a Big Ten championship game. That's the scenario that you saw Alabama get in. You don't win the division, but you look, you know, you're impressive. You look good. Michigan's a brand. That is if they one can thing. find a way to take Michigan over Iowa, they will. Yeah. Like, I don't think they have the same amount of favoritism for the P5 that they do certain select brands. That they I think this, they, they know will do numbers. But, Again, this is the, the committee is made up of athletic directors from Power Five conferences whose athletic budgets depend largely and benefit greatly from the college football playoff. They're not going to care about the brand. They're going to care about let's keep the money in our conference. Sure, that's fair. I'm just saying if it comes down to one loss Michigan or one loss Iowa, they're going to take Michigan. If that's the decision. Maybe. But still, then we're still talking about two Big Ten teams. Yeah, Can I think I, uh, Big Ten has a better chance in the SEC. Mm-hmm. Can I uh, shift gears a little bit? Because I know Bud said something like, can we talk Georgia? And I do think a couple things unfolded for me on Georgia over the weekend. One, the fact that they might only have to beat Alabama once is huge in the SEC championship game. If Alabama gets there, they can knock their biggest adversary out of the picture totally. Like they're not going to go back and say, oh, even if it's a field goal game, you can't bring Alabama back with two losses into the championship game. Um, So that was huge. The other thing, that I kept wondering as I'm watching Stetson Bennett make some pretty good throws, running the football, you know, it just, to me, like clearly Caleb Williams is going to be the guy in Oklahoma. He's going to take over the reins and there's a quarterback change there. I think this is going to be a little bit trickier, clearly for Kirby Smart, because what do you do when JT Daniels is healthy? Because I think it's probably going to be this week, I would assume, and he dressed out, he was in pads, which I just feel like in the locker room, the players are starting to respond to Stetson. He's been there longer. He played last year. Like, I think it's a tougher decision than people may think about whether he just hands it back to JT Daniels. I mean, it's great. It's a great problem to have because if you bring Jack JT and he gets hurt again, you know you've got a a player who's more than capable of winning games for you. But I was just curious to you guys, like, is there a chance that JT Daniels gets Wally Pipped here? No. Well, no. But I mean, muted. maybe I don't, I don't think, I think Stetson Bennett has played well, but I think that there's a chance that if Georgia was playing a higher tier of opponent, like if Georgia was playing Florida this week, JT Daniels might've played through the injury. 
But have we seen enough from JT Daniels to know? Because we've seen him against similar competition when Stetson Bennett goes out there and throws for 300 yards or against, you know, whoever he's playing against, or he has a couple nice throws against Auburn. Have we seen JT Daniels against quality competition where it's a no-brainer? No. Right. What do you think, bud? I, I just I think you have to find a way to play the guy with upside. We've already seen Kirby Smart. Look, I understand why he went with Jake Fromm at the time. I'm not trying to relitigate this, but ultimately he did not go with the guy with the higher upside, and it did cost them, right? We saw them try the Stetson Bennett thing last year, and ultimately Bama smacked them in the second half of that game. I will say, and this is something I, I, I'll, I'll credit Bill with this, you know Stetson Bennett has, I think he's thrown 18 total passes without a, without a two-score lead. Like everything he's throwing is when they're super comfortably up. And obviously, without much of a threat, the opponent's going to score. Mm. You've got to get JT Daniels ready if you want to cash this thing in and win the national title. I probably shouldn't say that there's no chance to win it with Stetson Bennett because obviously there's some chance. It's not like there's a bunch of great quarterbacks over there. But Ohio State seems to be hitting its stride. And I think Ohio State can put up points on Georgia. And if you get in that game and you've been rolling with Stetson Bennett and he's been playing in this comfort zone where Georgia's always up by two scores and you know, he always playing with that. And all of a sudden, he has to go out there and lead this offense and score. I don't have confidence that he can do that. I think I we're think all missing the point, though. The greater the point the greater point is JT Daniels, Stetson Bennett. It doesn't matter. As long as Lad McConkey is out there burning dudes deep and getting <laughs> open, it don't matter who the QB is. <laughs> um, I think there's a chance, but I think that chance is probably more health-related than performance-related. And that's just not having a good idea of where Daniels is at and also being influenced by this tidal wave of quarterback disappointments where we just take the, like, I think I'm done uh, looking at Heisman trophy favorites ever again. Like the entire top of the odds board is just, it's like you're, you're either, you've either played your way out of uh, competition, you've gotten injured or um, you're just not really a factor. Like all those names that were at the top, Spencer Rattler, uh, JT Daniels, Derek King, um, yeah, DJ Muyunglele, Sam Howell. I mean, Matt Corral's still out there, but um, it's uh, it it's not been a a, a great going for uh, for that this quarterback class, which is again why Tom is so happy the Bears gave up as much as they did to get Justin Fields because no way should any NFL team that's trying to get a get an instant bump. I don't think you're going to get it uh, in the uh, the 2022 NFL draft. And also, while I'm always going to bring it from my Bears fan perspective, it's also why teams like the Patriots and 49ers made moves for Mac Jones and Trey Lance, like San Francisco in particular. They still had Jimmy G. Why they go, why were they so aggressive to get Trey Lance? Because they knew what the next year's quarterback class looked like too. I think C.J. Stroud, who probably had decent but not amazing Heisman odds early, is the most like dumb dumb and i say this with love but like the most dumb dumb heisman pick left that feels alive is that fair yeah because i i saw this morning bryce young still the favorite right that seems odd yeah i would not make that bet no i think no. cj cj stroud when we recorded on saturday was what 15 to 1 this morning he was 8 to 1 so what's matt corral Two to one last I saw. Oh, because I kind of, I was going to say that's not really good value, but I would take him. I mean, because I do think Ole Miss is probably going to be ten and two, maybe worst case, maybe eleven and one. You know, best case. Yeah, and that's the thing too, because like the best team in the country is Georgia, but Georgia doesn't really have that one central offensive star, no. which is going to hurt. Like its best player is a defensive tackle, and God, while well, I would love to see one win the Heisman, we all know that's never going to happen. Um. Yeah. Number two, Iowa. Number three, Cincinnati. Maybe you're making a Desmond Ritter, but I don't think that that is going to come together. Uh, that's, again, more of a – I look at Cincinnati as more of a, an awesome team. You don't have the, like, central uh, superstar quite on that level, and you can go right down the, the list of the AP rankings. All right, on the reaction got, pod, Tom said something that was, that was great. The running back, because there are some really good running backs doing really special things. Whether it's Travion Henderson, Kenneth Walker the third, or now Kennedy Brooks, I think if Oklahoma starts getting right, starts running the football a little bit more, that could be a name to watch out for too. I think Caleb Williams might steal that. Yeah. But I don't think that uh, when you guys talked about JT Daniels potentially winning it, what's the what's the minimum amount of games you have to play? Don't you think you have to have statistically enough under your belt to at least have started nine, ten games in order to win it? 
Yeah, I think I think time's running out there. When we were talking about that two weeks ago, like maybe if he came back and started lighting it up through the air, possibly. But uh, now I, I don't think it's possible. Um, all right. Uh, other, uh, I like where that conversation went. I don't want to cut off anyone else's observations. Any other, upon further review uh, notes that we want to make sure we get out before we close the book on week six and uh, and begin to turn our attention towards week seven? Did we do Cam Rising for Utah? I've I've got Utah on uh, on my list for uh, for upon further review because as uh, I go back to look at that win against USC, which as Tom predicted. Utah brought a fight that USC wanted no part of. Uh, I also start to go back and look like, so this Utah team I think is better positioned because it started one and two and got to work some things out because from the resume and profile standpoint, those two losses, which both came on the road to teams that are currently ranked in the top 25 BYU and San Diego state, those two losses were by a combined nine points. Like Utah was against very good teams in tough environments, uh, playing close but not being able to take it over the top. We get a changeover at quarterback. The team that undergoes kind of a crazy couple of weeks. But I think that this Utah team has emerged. They still have zero conference losses. They've got Arizona State coming up. Like Whatever stock I might have sold on my Utah Pac-12 South champion prediction at the beginning of the season, I feel like that was a poor decision to sell because we've emerged here in close to mid October and with rising in at quarterback coming off the strength of uh, two solid wins uh, first against Washington state and then against USC. I I think Utah's right there with the sun devils as a team that we got to consider among the best in that division. So like, let's remember here, Cam rising was a a blue chip QB. So like, I, I think pedigree wise, he does have at least that baseline level of physical talent. Uh, you know, he came in there, he, he lit up Washington State. Obviously, USC is, is in a bit of disarray, so I, I do tend, you know, my enthusiasm is a little bit lessened here. Uh, but still, I mean, he has almost doubled the yards per attempt uh, adjusted than Charlie Brewer had, 8.6 to 4.4. 66% completions, 7 to 0 touchdown interception ratio. You know, it's not like he's playing UNLV and, and Southern Utah here. Like, at least these are conference games. They have scholarship athletes that are somewhat comparable. Um, I, I think he's playing really well. It's also worth noting that uh, Arizona State is likely to be without two of their starting defensive backs this weekend due to injury. Evan Fields and then uh, who's the corner? Uh, Tom uh, Chip, you guys may know this. I forgot his name. But he went out in that game as well uh, against Stanford. So, Utah may be able to pull the upset through the air here. I'm, I'm very curious to see. The name that jumped out to me, because again, like that game happened as Alabama, Texas A&M was going on. Okay. I will be honest. It did not make any of my screens. Like I, There was a lot going on. I did not get to dig into Utah's win against USC until after we recorded the podcast. Um, Devon Valet, like not a name that I had anywhere on my uh, like wide receivers to watch. He had an absolutely monster game against USC and, you know, Britton Covey, like there's, there are some names that I need to to come around and start putting a little bit higher on my register because I, I felt like this Utah offense, to your point with rising in at quarterback seems to be really rounding into form in an impressive way. All right. Any, uh, any other, any other upon further review notes before we get out of here? Illinois might not score another point this season. Sad. It's really boosting uh, Wisconsin's rating, too. The one team that the computers still love. Just, yeah. It's all right. White Sox will win tomorrow. Then White Sox will win the next one. The White Sox scored more runs on Sunday night than Illinois win a game for the rest of the season. That is, The last one was hyperbole. That one is true. Gracious. Uh, we will be back with you on Wednesday, and it's going to be a day to open up that big old bag of mail. So get in your mailbag questions. Great time of the year. So much going on. Lots to chew on. Uh, so you go and leave a five-star review, and then in that review, you put your question. We'll add it to the big old bag of mail. We will hit some of our favorites on Wednesday. So go ahead and go do that right now as you're listening to it right now, and then you'll be able to hear the answer in that mailbag episode. You can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Baseball rules are stupid. Sorry, bud.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.